It's good to see all of your faces here today uh, with us. Um, you know, we've been journeying over the last, uh, well, two months uh, in a season that we're calling a series that we're calling Devoted. And we wanted to just take a couple of uh, Sundays throughout the course of the three months leading up to launch to say, what as a church is most important to us? What do we need to remain devoted to? And so last month at our monthly gathering, Alex spoke about how we needed to be devoted to Christ. And that is to say, to be devoted to Christ is to die to self. And then today, we're going to be focusing on what it looks like to be devoted to mission. Uh, I want to go ahead and just get this out of the way, uh, because for some of us who have been longtime Jesus followers in the room or have been around Christianity for a while, you hear that I'm going to do a sermon on uh, mission, and you think, oh no, she's going to talk about evangelism. I apologize already if some of you just experienced some like PTSD-like symptoms when you hear the word evangelism. You're not alone. Um, I feel some of those sometimes, uh, whether it's immediate images of a street preacher on the corner preaching about going to hell. If you, don't get a, if you don't believe in Jesus, or whether it's what my husband likes to call those evangelism sweats that you get when you go on a plane and you're sitting next to a passenger and you're wondering, if I died today, would the person next to me know Jesus? So bizarre. I don't know why of all examples, that's the one we like to talk about. But that, that may be an image that comes to your mind. Uh, or maybe it's the image of that one time you finally got the courage to invite a friend to church and it just happened to be that one Sunday that the pastor gave like a, fel- a hellfire and brimstone message. Yeah, I've been there and I've done that. Uh, The reality is uh, evangelism is a nerve-wracking concept and idea for many of us, including myself. In actuality, the word evangelism is not used in the scriptures. Um, It's uh, terminology we'll learn a little bit more later as to how it got adopted into Christianity. Uh, And that's partly the reason why we decided to entitle this sermon, Devoted to Mission. Um, But regardless of the verbiage I use, um, it's just an anxiety-inducing topic, right? And if we examine our current climate, our current culture, the culture that we live in today, it's no wonder that this is an extremely anxiety-inducing thing that we feel. Uh, Barna just recently conducted a study in 2018, or yeah, 2018, and six out of 10 non-Christians stated that, the, that a person's religious beliefs should not be shared if they're considered disrespectful and judgmental. About half of all adults agree that beliefs perceived as disrespectful or judgmental are the top reason why sharing one's views on religion is wrong. At this point, evangelism is not just weird, but it can be offensive to people. Uh, the research continues to reflect the effects of these growing trends. We see in a Barna study conducted in 2019, specifically regarding millennials, which is most of us sing in this room, uh, regarding evangelism, they found the following statistics to be true. And some of these, I want to preface with saying, are really awesome things, are really good things. And then some of them, not so much. So the first thing that we find is that 95% of Christians believe that part of their faith is being a witness about Jesus. That's really awesome, okay? That's one of the cores of our faith, of our Christian tradition. We should believe that, right? That our life should be a witness to Jesus Christ. 
The second is that 95% of Christians believe that the best thing that could ever happen to someone is them knowing Jesus. This is also a really, really good thing because it means that Jesus is transforming and changing our lives and that we want others to experience that. That's awesome. 73% of millennials millennials believe that they know how to respond well to questions about their faith when asked and how to share the gospel well. That's also really good because that means about 75% of us sitting in the room when asked about our faith know how to answer those questions well. That's really awesome. However, 47% of millennials agree, at least somewhat, that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith with hopes that they come to know Jesus. I repeat that again. 47% of millennials agree, at least somewhat, that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that one day they will share their same faith. Some of you may be sitting in the room and you're saying, I identify with that. That's okay. We're gonna talk about why you identify with that. Rock Sandstone, a Barna contributor, contributor, sums up the research and she states it really well. She says, The overarching cultural trends of secularism, relativism, pluralism, and the digital age are contributing to a society that is less interested in religion and has marginalized the place of spirituality in everyday life. As a result, Christians in America today have to live in the tension between Jesus's commands to tell others the good news and growing cultural taboos against proselytizing. If you are sitting here and you're saying, I identify with the 47%, I get it. We're being faced with some really difficult tensions here. So the question is, what do we do, right? (laughs) What do we do with these growing tensions? How in this society do we continue to be devoted to mission in a world that is not just increasingly disinterested in a religion, but is offended by our religion? Well, today in our Luke 10 passage, we see Jesus introduce a new way of evangelism to his disciples. A new way to experience the spread of the gospel a way to participate in the mission of Jesus Christ. Luke 10 is situated in Jesus's journey from Jerusalem, or excuse me, journey to Jerusalem as he's headed to have the Passover meal, to die on the cross, and then eventually be resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And so it's on this very long journey to Jerusalem that we see two specific themes emerge. The first theme is this, that the Jewish leaders are increasingly annoyed and frustrated and angry with Jesus. There are some growing rifts happening in the relationship between Jesus and the Jewish elders. And the second is that Jesus is preparing his disciples for the day where he will no longer be physically present with him. It's here that the disciples learn that the new way of Jesus is unlike that of the religious leadership of their day. It is here where we get a glimpse of what Jesus is calling us to do, what Jesus is calling us, his disciples, to do. So let's pick up in chapter 10, verse one, it says, after the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and every place where he himself was about to go, notice he sends them two by two and they're also going before him. He plans to come after them, yeah? 
two by two to the place to every town where he was planning on going. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bags, no knapsacks, no sandals and greet one another on the road. We see here in verses one through four that we are the sent people of God. Uh, I'm gonna preface with what I'm about to say. What I'm about to say may be very offensive to some of you and please hear my heart, that's, that's not what I mean. I wish it was easier. I wish when I examined, I opened the scriptures. Uh, we didn't sometimes have to play an active role in the gospel participation because sometimes it can be really hard, right? Uh, but when I examine the scriptures, I see that we must be participators. Listen to me when I say this. Jesus has not called us to a purely personal relationship with him. Okay? The key word there is purely. Jesus has not called us to a purely personal relationship with him. He's not called us to live in isolation with the gospel message. He has not called us to be alone, but rather he has called us to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ with one another as we go on ahead of him. In today's society, many of us have bought into this idea of what I like to call privatized religion. It's one that says, Jesus saved me. Jesus transformed me. Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. But I do not have to make that knowledge public. I do not have to share it with my neighbors. I don't need to share it with my coworkers. I don't need to share it with my friends. I can hide my light under a bushel and not let it shine. Anybody remember that song? If you grew up in Sunday school. This is really hard for a lot of us. But when I examine scriptures, we see a very clear command of Jesus. There's just, folks, there's really no way around it. Honestly, I wish there was at times. Sometimes this is really hard. I wish there was a way around it, but there's not. But notice, Jesus is not sending us alone. That's why this community is so important. He sends us with other people on ahead of him. But he promises us, not only will we not be alone, but he does say, this is gonna be hard. He says, at times we're gonna feel like lamb amongst wolves. Yet he still spurs his disciples on. He still instructs them to live light, to not carry extra money with them, to not carry an extra pair of shoes, to not be stopped by friends on the road to their mission. He encourages them to still go. This is hard for us, not just because we live in a culture of privatized religion, but this is hard for us because we live in a culture that above all else, comfort is king. Whether that's physical comfort, right? AC during the summer, heat during the winter, a nice bed to sleep on every night, the perfect house, the picket fence, the 2.5 kids, the dog. Whether that's financial comfort, the 401k, the savings account, none of these things are bad, but they're comfort, right? They're security. Whether it's emotional comfort, the need to have anxiety reduced completely, to never feel nervous, to never be put in places where we feel confrontation or difficulty or tension, whatever that looks like, in the United States of America, 
Comfort is considered an unalienable right. And yet, Jesus calls us to at times live a life of discomfort. Life that's not always fun, not always comfortable. A life that doesn't rely on earthly materials. That forsakes the extra pair of shoes. Jesus has called us to live a life that is counterintuitive to this world. The question remains, will we forsake privatization and comfort to embrace our identity as the sent people of God? We keep reading, it says in verse 5, Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be in this house. Don't you love that? Peace be in this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will simply return to you. In verses one through four, we saw that we are the sent people of God. But in verses five through six, we learn to identify people of peace. Jesus instructs his disciples to say, peace be to this house. They would know and recognize the people that are in these houses based on the current culture. They would know that that essentially means God be with you or may God's good will be in your house. And so for a homeowner or a host to welcome the stranger into their house, it's as if they were welcoming God himself into their home. And if the homeowners or the hosts rejected them, they were simply to walk away. Can I just say, as pastors, I'll throw myself under the bus, as leaders, as Christians, we've made evangelism really hard, folks. Whether it's gotta be someone standing up on a street corner, you've gotta have the art of apologetics figured out, you gotta figure out how to tell your testimony really well. We have made evangelism really difficult. And what I see here is Christ is simply telling us, hey, go find people peace. If they wanna hang with you, hang with them. If they don't, go on your way, yeah? My friends at KC Underground, it's a network of local house churches here in Kansas City. Uh, I think they say it best. They say somehow in the Western church, we have turned the beautiful joy of proclaiming the good news of Jesus into a set of scary and socially awkward pitches. Our methods fall under an umbrella of what I like to call presentational evangelism, which puts pressure on a presenter to persuade the hearer from unbelief to belief in one single conversation. That is terrifying. Like, let's be honest, that's really terrifying. But what we see here in Luke chapter 10, is instead of adopting really strange methods of evangelism, Jesus has simply called us to be partners with him in spreading his gospel. What he's called us to do is simply this. He reveals peaceful people to us who are interested and open to relationship with God. And when we realize this, we are completely free to live life in a new way. A way in which we join Jesus in the spreading of the gospel. My friends, it's not all up to you. When we become participators in this mission, instead of trying to persuade people from belief into unbelief, we simply participate in the mission of God that says, find people of peace. 
Identify people in the places that you work, live, and play. Identify people who are willing and open to my gospel message, who simply maybe just show that they want to have friendship with me, sit down and have a cup of coffee together. Therefore, a simple task is to identify people of peace in the places we work, live, and play. Let's pick up in verse 9. Jesus goes on to say, Heal the sick in it, the town, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near. Verses 1 through 4, we see that the way that we are the sent people of God. In verses 5 and 6, we see that we must identify people of peace. And in verse 9, we tell people that the kingdom of God has come near to them. Notice that Jesus tells them to do miraculous things. He tells them to meet their tangible needs, right? Telling them to go heal people in the town. It's saying, what are your physical needs? How can I help you, right? But notice he doesn't stop there. Let me tell you, it's so important to meet the tangible needs of our neighbors and our community. You can't look at Midtown Church and not know that that is like the heart of who we are, right? But we can't stop there. Jesus calls us to preach the true message of the gospel, the true healing and deliverance. The message that the kingdom of God has come near in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, the word euangelion in the Greek uh, is where we get our word evangelism. And primarily in Jesus' day, the word euangelion was not a term that was used in religious circles. It was actually used in political ones. So if you know kind of anything about this particular time period in history, uh, there is an emperor. His name is Emperor Caesar, emperor Caesar, and he is presiding over Rome and all the territories associated with it. Jerusalem is under Roman rule. And uh, Caesar, he didn't have uh, cable news back in the day. He didn't have email. He didn't have Twitter. Too soon. I don't know. Maybe not. Okay. Uh, he didn't have Twitter. So the question is, how did he get, like, his message and decrees out there, right? Like, how did he tell people about tax updates, right? Or about law changes? Like, how did they know this stuff? Well, he sent messengers to give euangelion. That's where that phrase comes from, that word. He sent messengers on ahead of him to go into all the towns to give the euangelion, to give them the messages, to give them the updates, to give them the decrees, the words, whatever they needed to hear. Christians, later on in history, after Jesus ascended, adapted this terminology to use in going from town to town to town, not to declare the message of Caesar, but to declare the message of Jesus Christ. It's as if Jesus is saying here in verse 9, the imperfect, harsh, unjust, violent rule of earthly dictators is over. Come on, that's some good news. Yeah? God's perfect rule and reign, his perfect restored creation and kingdom is coming actively near to you. Folks, that's the gospel message. Notice what he does not say. Choose whether you're going to go to heaven or hell. That's not what he says. He says the imperfect rule of this earth is coming to an end. And Jesus Christ is coming to actively restore the kingdom of God here on earth. I want to take a moment to acknowledge that for many of us, this is not the gospel message that we've heard. This is not the narrative that has been preached to us. 
Oftentimes, it's an invitation to draw near to the kingdom of God. That invitation has been co-opted or replaced with a harsh, cold, manipulative message that reduces a decision to heaven and hell. And yet, if I can encourage you in anything today, it's that we cannot let these misguided messages keep us from entering the kingdom of God, nor can we let them keep us from spreading the good news of the gospel. We cannot be discouraged. This kingdom started out as a perfect kingdom. Yes, it was corrupted by human violence, lies, turmoil, and deceit, but it is actively being restored through Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, there are a lot of people I know that need to hear that message. And if I'm simply discouraged by the poor messages that have been propagated throughout my lifetime, people will never hear that good news. If we're being honest, I think a majority of us sitting in this room have let many of these socially awkward gospel pitches, as mentioned in the earlier quote, keep us from ever broaching the topic of Jesus with our coworkers, with our neighbors, and with our friends. But folks, we can't be silent. We must do as Jesus instructed us. It's so clear. We must be the sent people of God, actively identifying people of peace, and sharing the true message of the gospel. That the kingdom of God has come near to us. I want to go ahead and invite the worship team to come on up as I work to close the sermon today. Uh, you know, based on our passage in Luke today, we have learned that to be devoted to mission is to declare that the kingdom of God has come near but if many of us are being honest, the only way we've ever seen evangelism done has been based on a very different message. And so we can kind of left, like, be left wondering, okay, well, like, what do I do, right? Like, what do I say? What do I do? All of the examples that I have seen over the course of my life are not great, right? They've not worked very well. People shame them. So what do I do? Um, you know, there's a acronym, it forms the word BLESS, B-L-E-E-S. And it's a really helpful tool to kind of help us understand what it looks like to really be people devoted to mission and that are committed to spreading a gospel message that says the kingdom of God has come near. Let me tell you, these practices, these behaviors uh, that I'm about to present to you, they're not like crazy. They're not weird. They're things that can be integrated into your everyday life really easily. And so what I would ask before I, I kind of go into these five steps is that this wouldn't just be like a message. It's like, yes, we need to go be better evangelists. Woo, I'm going to do that throughout my week. That's awesome. But rather that these would be things that we actually integrate into our daily rhythms of life over the course of years to come. So very quickly, um, I want to just go through these. We'll start with B. B, begin in prayer. You know, so much of our prayer time, although it doesn't need to necessarily be specific, God doesn't need us to petition him, but so much of our prayer time when specific can really give us the courage that we need uh, to be more friendly to those around us. And so I would encourage you, identify four or five people in your life who probably don't know Jesus, but have just been open to a friendship with you. 
that you like strike up a really good conversation with, you share some interests with, and begin really praying for those four to five people, saying, okay, God, open up moments for us to have conversation about really meaningful things. Because if we're being honest, we can go through life every single day and have a lot of really non-meaningful conversations, right? So what, what would it look like for us to say, okay, this week, over the course of my life, I'm gonna continuously identify four to five people. I'm gonna just pray for that we have meaningful conversations, that the Lord would bless their life, that they would see fruit come from their life, that they would see their family made whole. What would it look like for me to just pray for those four or five people? Second one is listen. Stop speaking so much and listen a whole lot more. The best evangelists are not those who speak well but those that excel at listening and asking really good questions. If I'm being honest, some of you just need to shut up. Seriously. Like we're really consumed with our own life or like making sure a conversation goes really well and so we don't make space. And I, let me tell you, I'm preaching to myself. I, listening does not come naturally to me. I am a talker. But we have to make space to hear people, to ask really good questions, to tell stories. I have, uh, well, Katrina Grassinger, she's uh, in our church. She actually oversees our kids. She's amazing. She's one of the best question askers I know. Anyone that knows her will be like, yes, she is an amazing question asker. And here's, I, I know she does this. She actually writes down a bank of questions, like really intentional questions that she thinks about. And she's not doing it like with any agenda. She just wants to be able to have really meaningful conversations with people. What would it look like for you to make space to hear people, to hear their stories, to not be so consumed throughout your day, you're rushing through it and unwilling to listen to people around you? The third one is eat. That's a fun one. <laughs> one of the most practical ways that we can spend time with people is by eating good food, drinking good coffee, your beverage of choice, whatever that looks like. Going out to a bar, I don't care. It's eating and drinking with people. That's one of the best ways to get to know somebody. Those people piece that you're praying about, invite them to go grab lunch with you. If it's a coworker, take your lunch break together instead of going off into the corner and plugging in your headphones and watching Netflix, right? Some of the best conversations I've ever had are gathered around a good meal. Honestly, this is why we believe in microchurch so much. Just wanna take a moment and say that because I don't think evangelism happens best right here. That's not where that happens. It happens over good food and friends gathered around a table. Our fourth one is S, serve. And here, I'm not talking about serving on a Sunday morning. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about serving your people peace. I'm talking about serving the neighbor around you. When your neighbor takes out the trash in the morning and they mention that their wife just got diagnosed with cancer, uh, what would it look like for you to serve that neighbor by bringing in a meal over? Or even just like giving them a nice card the next day when they're taking out their, next week when they're taking out their trash. What does it look like to serve your neighbor? Maybe the person that's down the hall from you in your apartment complex, maybe they weren't able to pay their electric bill. You find out about it. What would it look like for you to pay their electric bill that night? Last one is story, sharing your story. How are you sharing your story with people? Are you able to speak about the nearness to Jesus that you experience in your life? And listen, I'm not talking about like weird, weird stuff. Like, you know, those people on like the first day of class or anything, uh, they're like, what's a fun fact about you? And they're like, oh, I go to church and I follow Jesus. I'm not saying that's what you need to do. I'm saying in everyday conversations, do you talk about the nearness of Jesus? 
Like when someone asks you your story and you talk about this time that you went through cancer or you talk about this time in which you didn't have a house or you talk about this time in which COVID completely disrupted your life, is Jesus integrated in your language of like how you got through it? Is he there? I'm not talking about weird stuff. I'm just talking about your life. Do you integrate the language of Jesus and what he's doing in your life in everyday conversation when someone asks you your story? And ultimately, I think one of the best ways to share your story is by eventually, when it's appropriate, inviting that person to microchurch. You know, microchurch is centered on this idea that we share our stories with one another and then we share the story of Jesus. When it's appropriate, are you willing and ready to say, hey, I go to this really great microchurch. You want to come with me sometime? We just sit, hang out, eat really good food, pray some prayers together and talk about scripture. Here's what I believe. It's through these really simple practices. They're intentional, but through really simple practices of beginning with prayer, listening, eating, serving your people of peace, sharing your story, that we really will begin to see a very weird message, gospel message that's been perpetrated, transformed into a really powerful gospel message. That's where we begin to see the reputation of the local church, what we're here to do. That's where we see that renewed, guys is when we are actively incorporating these practices into our everyday life. Here's what I know. When we incorporate these practices into what we do as a community, if we as a community can be devoted to mission, we will be able to declare that the kingdom of God has come near to so many people who need it. Thanks for listening to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast. To find out more or to join a church gathering, check out our website at midtownkc.church.